Richard Lang. Richard Lang encountered um, Douglas Harding a long time ago. And uh, Douglas Harding was one of those very rare human beings who had a profound thirst for awakening and uh, a willingness to really do the work himself. And uh, Richard has, has been a marvelous, he, he took the teachings from Douglas Harding and has manifested them and, and brought them into very, many, many very rich forms, including gathering together uh, Douglas Harding's notes and he's working on another book uh, now, which will be another whole. Uh, it's it's the the story of his li the story of his life with the teachings all embedded in it. So I think uh, he's a very joyful human being and uh, uh, very wise and uh, pretty alive. I think you'll discover. So it's with great delight. And he come he came all the way from England to do this. So uh, his devotion to this. Head, quote, headless way uh, is uh, very appropriate given the magnitude of the message. So I invite you to enjoy him from now till noon. Yay. You better be good now. <laughs> Hello. Thank you, Robert, and everyone here for inviting me. And uh, great to be back and uh, here. And just have an opportunity to share something with you very, very simple that in a way you're already aware of, but I'm just going to articulate it uh, in a way that may be a bit unfamiliar. And it's about the experience of our true nature, our Buddha nature, our Christ consciousness, our spirit, the land of everlasting clearness. That's some beautiful names. And uh, this land of everlasting clearness is nearer to you than your breathing. So we've been paying attention to our breathing. And what I am here to bring on to the front burner or keep on the front burner and celebrate with you is what is just nearer to you than your breathing. Your true nature, which, which is always there. The land of everlasting clearness is boundless and timeless is right there where you are. And uh, I'm going to share with you some very simple awareness exercises, we call them experiments, for directing our attention to this place that's nearer to you than your breathing, that is aware of your breathing. And uh, we call them experiments. I, I suppose I come from a, you know, a tradition, a headless way. Call them experiments because the, your true nature is not for believing in, but for experiencing. So we test the idea that there is something nearer to you than your breathing, which is timeless and still and free and uh, 
real and uh, and just a fantastic place to live from it, it's just so simple uh, this morning at Robert's there was just a little interaction between him and his wife and uh, Robert was looking for something and Jennifer said what are you looking for and he said oh nothing you remember that? <laughs> I just made it up, you know, it's convenient. I'm going to tell you all about all kinds of things about Robert that he didn't actually do, but now's my chance. <laughs> so what, what are we looking for when we look for our true nature? Nothing in a way. But it's nothing with a capital N and it's aware, and it's full, and it's dynamic, and it's incredibly creative, and it is the source. And I am going to invite you to be aware of this wonderful thing, no thing, where you are, through just looking and listening. And it's very deceptive, because the, the next potential bit of that conversation is, what are you looking for? Oh, nothing. Did you find it? Yes. <laughs> Was it worth it? Yes. So when we look for our true nature, we're not looking for a high. In a way, we're not even looking for a realization. We're looking for something that out of which realizations come. See? But to just to give it a little bit of, you know, fill in the colors a bit, your true nature is advertised to be boundless, clear, still, nearer to you than your breathing, yet full of the whole world. It's the stillness at the heart of movement, it's the complete peace at the heart of stress. It is the place where uh, you meet everyone. So, do you want to find nothing? <laughs> Put your hand up if you'd like to find nothing. <laughs> You've got to get the group with you, you see. <laughs> All right, here you go. It's going to be a big letdown. <laughs> they think I'm joking. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to show you what to do first. Don't do it yet, all right? All you're going to do in a moment is hold your hands out, look at them, and bring them back like this, past either side of your head, and see what happens. Now you can see from the outside that Rich's hands go past his head, and nothing happens to their hands. This is the difference between the public and the private, the outside and the inside, what I am for you and what I am for me. So hold your hands out like this 
and you know, maybe a little bit up, you know what you're going to do so that you're not distracted by me. And you can see there's a gap between your hands and you can see part of the room in that gap. Now slowly, with attention, bring them back as I did before, either side of your head, except notice they get bigger and bigger. Keep going. And then there'll be a point where the fingers start to disappear. Now keep going. And this is your personal, private experience. I, I find my hands disappear, disappear. I can make them disappear all the way up to my wrists. And I say they've gone into the great void, into this clear land of everlasting clearness, this stillness. There's no face, no head, emptiness which no one can see from the outside. It's a totally private experience. Now you bring them forward, I say, my hands magically appear out of nothing. They didn't disturb that stillness one bit. Well, that's it. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so what I am asking you to do is to pay attention to what it's like to be you not what you look like to me I can see your appearance because I'm out here this is relativity so we can perhaps think of this as the experience and the meaning the experience is non-verbal non-intellectual, non-emotional, completely neutral in a way, the experience of your true nature. And then there's what we make of it, our individual response to this experience of nothingness, this non-experience in a way. See? So I am here also not just to guide our attention to this supremely private experience of nothingness, but also just to explore with you a little bit of how this benefits us, you see. So, this is paying attention to what you are at zero. Now this, I'm going to put this experience in a couple of contexts for you to consider. One is relativity, nothing complicated. What things are depends on how far away you are from them. So look at the carpet, you say that's a carpet, but it is more true to say it's a carpet from three feet. Because if you go up to it with the right instruments, it changes its appearance radically and becomes fibers. And you can only see that if you've gone up to it. And if you go up to the fibers, you'll find it's made of molecules. If you go up to the molecules, it'll be particles, until it's almost nothing. So in other words, everything you look at is like an onion in that it's got layers. And what it appears to be depends on how far away you are. Now you're looking at me from however many feet, and you see Richard. And you'll see a different thing if you're on the front row like Matt or on the back row like Michael. Just slightly different. But if you came up to me and took seriously what you found with the right instruments, you'd find half Richard, head and shoulders, face, patch of skin, cells, 
molecules. I'm not Richard here. I'm Richard out there in you. Does that make sense? This is verifiable. We don't really take it, say, oh, I'm just Richard. No, I'm not. I'm Richard out there for you. Come up to me and I disappear. Alice wanted to meet the Red Queen. And so she went up to her and lost her. She had to stay away to meet. You've got to stay that distance to meet Richard. Now, if you go further away from me, you won't see Richard anymore. You'll see Portland and then America and the planet and the star. These are all layers of my body. And I need everyone to sit here and breathe. I need my lungs, the cells that make up my lungs, my molecules that make up the cells. And I need my atmosphere, and I need my planet, my sunlight, my star. The whole thing is one living system. But it's layered around each of us. Now the question I am asking this morning is, who or what is right at the center of all these layers? In other words, the reality behind all these appearances. Or who are you? I can't see who you are at center because I can't get there. I can tell you what you look like at this range. You can tell me what I look like more than I know at the moment. I might have egg on my face and I can't see it. You can, because you're where that appearance manifests. It's very exciting to kind of rediscover how the world is built. So the question I'm asking myself now is, who or what is at the center of all these appearances? You can't tell me. You can get very close, but you cannot get to zero. Same the other way. But all the great mystics say at zero, you are so different from what you look like. And they go overboard. You are God. You are Buddha there. You are the one. You are never born and you'll never die. And living a good, healthy life involves being awake to your true nature for everybody. You haven't quite reached your potential if you haven't woken up to your true nature and you're living from it. So, point at the carpet with your finger to direct your attention. So, I really encourage you to do these very simple things like a child. And just notice what you're pointing at. It's got color and shape. You don't have to know the color, the name of the color. You don't have to like it. Now come closer to yourself and point at your foot or something. And look. And notice the color and shape. Now point up at your knee and notice what you're seeing there. You don't have to ask anyone else. You don't have to have words for it. Now point at your torso and look what's there. See, Now hold your hand out and point back at where others see your face. Point directly and keep pointing. Because this is you at zero, I suggest. And I see no face, no boundary, no colors, no movement, the land of everlasting clearness, Boundless, timeless, no change here, no time. It's in a way a non-experience, doesn't have content. But it is what I am, and I suggest what you are at zero. You're the reality behind all your appearances. This ex totally private place.
Now, most of the time, no one asks us to look here and say, no, we'll tell you what's there. Now, just keep pointing and point out at the same time like this. Two-way pointing. And this indicates that this clear space that you're looking out of isn't just empty, it's also full. And it's full of this room now and these sounds and feelings and thoughts and everything. It's a wake space. Notice you can't see your head. See, everybody else's because you're at a distance. I can't see mine. You can. In a way, if there are a hundred people here, I've got a hundred heads. All slightly different, probably. But here I don't have one. And it is so fantastic. Now we're starting visually, but we'll look at the other senses. But here's a implication of noticing you cannot see your own face. See, this is not rocket science. Everyone, this is true of everyone in this room. But when you look then at others and are conscious that you have no face for yourself, we call it face to no face. Face to no face, you see, or face to no face for you. We call it trading faces. I have your faces here, you have my face there. My appearance is in you, yours is in me. I am but built open for a hundred people now. You are within this awareness, you are within me. So I am now putting words on this non-verbal experience. You will have your own response. But I have no doubt you've got the basic experience, because you can't see your head. I am asking a question that is not often asked out in society. What? Incredibly simple. The kind of question a child would ask before it's got educated too much. What are you looking out of? <laughs> what are you looking out of? And I'm saying, don't believe me or anyone else, just look. Now they say, they, you're looking out of two eyes. And I take a look and I'm not. Hold your hands out like this, like glasses, you see. You see two holes with a dividing line. All right. Now slowly put them on like glasses and watch what happens to the dividing line. It goes, right? The two become one. Magic. The two become one. Now, for some of us, this will mean quite a lot. For others, none, nothing, perhaps. Some wondering, you know, what on earth is this about? What does this mean? Of course. But I have no doubt that you can look and find the single eye, as I call it. So take your hands and just see how they disappear all the way around into what I call the single eye or the clear land, one opening. Now put your hands like this, like horse blinkers, you see. 
Now, first of all, see how big your hands are. From the ceiling to the floor. Huge, giant hands. Giant hands. You see, it's funny, because we all can see it. Now notice what's between your hands, your face or the world. The world. You got the whole world. So these are awareness exercises to get us paying attention to our direct experience. What are you looking out of? Wow. It's always available. So now I notice that I'm face to no face with all of you. Ah, oh, I have your faces, you see. It's lovely, I have your faces. Now here's another context, very briefly, which is your personal development in four stages. Stage one is the baby. When you were a baby, pre-verbal, you didn't know what you looked like. You looked in the mirror, that wasn't you, right? You're open. In my language, you're headless. You're single-eyed. Now, uh, uh, we see this in babies, it's infectious. There's the baby, just wide open. See? Just looking. Doesn't, you don't, when you were a baby, you didn't feel looked at. See? You weren't out there looking back at yourself, you're just looking out with a single eye. You didn't know anything else. Pre verbal. So you, you put a baby here, it wouldn't feel under inspection. See? Just, and everyone would tune in, I think. Because the baby, without knowing what it's doing, is saying, I'm going to put words in his mouth, I have no face here. Come and join me. You don't have to worry about that. Just come and join me. Be open, you see. So, first stage of the baby. Headless, at large, big. Second stage is the child. Through language, you're learning to understand what people are saying and that they can see you and they're describing what they see and they look in the mirror and say, that's you. And you go, that's me? How come that's me? That's over there and I'm here. <laughs> and that's tiny and I'm big. No, that's you. Through language, and you can imagine it now, you see, because through language, I could tell you now what you look like and you can't see it, right? Right now. And you start to take on, ah, oh, you're only this big, and your name is, and your age is, and you live here, see. As a child, we're starting with this open, headless space, which is no thing, no body, no name, no age here, you see. And this wide open space full of everyone, and people start telling me what I look like to them. And I start to learn. But to begin with as a child, I'm not very clear, I say, well, you're telling me I'm a little boy, but I feel like an aeroplane today. <laughs> see, and I, I really feel like an aeroplane. I'm not playing. I am an aeroplane, you see. Or a train, you see. Because you're beginning to get in the box 
that others are telling you that you're in, that you can't see, but you're not quite sure which box it is yet. And you'd much rather be an aeroplane than a little boy or girl, you know. So that second stage is very flexible and playful and open, you see. And you can be anything, and you can make things up as you go along, like I am doing now. <laughs> and when we're with children, it's infectious, just as the baby is, because we communicate our state of being. We cannot stop doing that. You are broadcasting who you are, whether you like it or not, because you're in me and I'm in you. So the baby is broadcasting pre-verbal openness, see. The child is broadcasting playfulness and flexibility, and I don't know what... So you play with the child and you can be a train with the child. But the feedback continues, so that by the time we're an adult, we're quite clear, hopefully, we're not a train. <laughs> I'm a human being, I know my name, age, nationality, all of that, you see. And I am now convinced I am the one I see in the mirror. So in a way I look at the one in the mirror and I put that on. And I hear about what I am from your point of view and I take it on. And now as an adult, I accept I am what you see me to be. And that's growing up. If you don't take on board, in general terms, who others say you are, you can't function. I mean, in very basic terms, I'm a person, you see. I didn't know that as a baby, and I wasn't sure of it when I was a child, but by the time I'm an adult, I've learned that, and I don't question it, that basic thing. I might question the details of what kind of person I am, but I don't question the basic thing. I am a person here, which means I'm separate from you. It means I'm behind a face that I cannot see, and I'm face to face with you and separate. It's me here and you there. And this is, on the one hand, a fantastic development. And it's the basis of society, because society is individuals, me and you. But it also leads to suffering and loneliness, separation, death. But most people today think, that's it. Growing up is about finding out who you are as a person and making the best of it. But it's only halfway through the story. And the next half of the story is reawakening to what you are for yourself. You've now, in the third stage of the adult, you've really learned well what you are for others. Deeply. So you function as that. But in the process, you have repressed, in my terms, your headlessness. You've repressed awareness of this open space, this stillness. So the next stage of our lives, potentially, is to reawaken to what we are for ourselves, this open single eye, full of everything, without boundaries. Now you have to kind of stand up for yourself on this one, because the rest of society will feed back your appearance. Because you're not headless for them, obviously. 
So you have to sort of say, I'm going to look for myself and I'm going to take seriously what I find and not let society talk me out of what I am. Because I know there are a hundred of you and one of me, so if it's numbers, I lose. But if I recognize that what I am for you is true from where you are and what I am for me is true from where I am, then they fit together perfectly. Because I'm aware now here, this open space is so st still and so quiet and so empty and free. Manifesting out there is Richard. <laughs> I have both. And so now when I look at you, I get your appearance. I know where you are. You are this open space. So when you find out who you are, you find out who everyone is. Everyone at center is the one. This is a great mystery. But this is, uh, when we do namaste, if you know that, the two are one, it's a greeting. It means I'm, I respect and honor the one in you. It's the same as the one in me. This is the highest respect you can give to anyone, is recognizing both their appearance, their human manifestation or animal, and their true nature, which is the one, which is this boundless awareness. And when you see it, you say, well, everyone's in the same condition. You see, as you look ahead, I look ahead, and I see all of you, and I see the ceiling, and it disappears about there, and I see the walls, and they disappear there. And I just see a bit of my legs here, and it disappears here. You see, all the way around, the, f the view fades out into the great void, my refuge that which cannot be affected by anything, yet includes everything, has its invisible arms around everything. So I'm going to just guide you from the visual into the non-visual, just a bit, yeah? Just to widen the view, in a way. But we start with eyes open, so this is really about taking a fresh look at the world and not simply going by what you've been told. It's as if, imagine, you enter a new, land on a new planet and no one has told you what it's like. And you're the first. And you get to do the first report back. Well, Houston. <laughs> so notice on this new planet, right, this, that everything you look at can be compared in size to everything else. So, you know, I'm, I suppose you could say I'm, I'm bigger than this microphone. It's relative, you see, but smaller than the wall. Everything you look is either bigger or smaller or about the same size as something else. So, just look at any two objects in the room and recognize one is bigger, smaller, or about the same size. All right? This is really simple. Now, look at the whole view. Be aware of the whole view. How big is it? What do you mean, Houston? There's nothing to compare it with. Because there isn't a second view on the right to say my view is bigger or smaller. It's single, right? Single. 
Now you hear about the views of others, but I'm distinguishing between what you hear about and your direct experience. And I find only one view, single. Like a private performance. All just single, you see. Because if you, for example, look at anyone or anything, look at me, you see a kind of boundary around me and I'm in an environment, there's something around me, all the way around my edge. Anything you look at, a picture on the wall, it's got something all the way around it. Now look at the whole view. Is there anything around it? Well, I don't see anything. Houston, no, sorry. Yeah, but uh, uh, Commander Lang, can you see anything below the view? No, nothing there. You, are you sure about that? Nothing there. Anything above the view? You see it? No, nothing. Left, right, no. Any other view? No. Oh, okay. You sure? Yeah, absolutely positive. It doesn't make sense. I don't, I know it may not make sense, but I'm just telling you how it is. Now look at me and you see a fairly clear boundary around me. Anything. Now look at the edge, all the way to the edge of the view. It kind of fades out. Into what? Can't quite say, Houston. <laughs> Could call it nothing, I suppose. Well, what color is a nothing? It doesn't have a color. What shape is that nothing? I, I... How far across is the view then? Honestly, I, I just couldn't tell you. It's as wide as the universe. It's single. Like you're on private showing. See. Now, close your eyes. And uh, I don't know how to describe it, but I'm going to provisionally call it a kind of darkness with uh, images or something. And Husson uh, says, so uh, Commander, how big is the darkness? Hmm. I, I can't tell you that either. There isn't a second one to compare it. Well, is it inside something? It must be inside something. Mm -mm, no, can't see it. In, no, it's just sort of floating in space. It's just sort of floating. See? Oh. Open your eyes. So did you open your eyes, Commander? Well, I don't know. I can't see my eyes. What happened was the darkness turned into the room, like magic, all right? So we're paying attention, whether it fits in with your worldview or not. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and notice, from your point of view, you don't close your eyes, you make the room disappear, magic. And now, you know, quote unquote, open your eyes, create the room. You mean you just created that planet? Well, it looks like it. This is very familiar, isn't it? I mean, with the infant. We know it in our heart, but we've been talked out of it. Now, obviously, as an adult, I know I close my eyes and open them and nothing happens to the room. That's the difference between the adult and the infant. But privately, I say, I make the room disappear. I make the room reappear. This is one of the powers of your true nature. Being able to destroy and create without harm. And it affirms your true nature. Because how many consciousnesses do you actually experience? How many consciousnesses up there, Commander? 
I only found one. But what about all those people out there? There must be, you know, hundreds and thousands of... I, well, I don't actually directly experience them. They tell me they're conscious, I believe them, but I don't actually... If you just want what I experience, there's only one consciousness. And everything is in it. And I am that one. You are that one. With a different view. Now, in terms of implications, to rediscover this one consciousness, which you cannot, I can't prove it to you, I can't show you it, but I can see it clearer, clearer than I can see you, is to discover a profound peace. Because this one consciousness isn't alone by exclusion, it's alone by inclusion. It includes all of you, you're all in it. You're, all your appearances are in this reality here, you see. So there's no others. The one cannot be threatened because the, there's no one outside the one. Now to find that you are that one and to start to live from that is a new life. Now close your eyes again and be aware of sounds. Coming and going, changing. Some are loud, some are soft, some are very quiet. How big is the whole field of sound? I can't find a second one to compare it with. Is it inside something? Well, as I listen, you see, it kind of fades, you know, gets quieter and quieter, I suppose, and then just fades out. Just as the visual field fades into the nothing, so the sounds fade into silence, into consciousness that has no content. And they, you could say they come out, these sounds, my voice comes out of this silence and disappears back into it without affecting the silence, consciousness. How creative this silence is, it's just, you can't stop it producing things. And this silence or awareness or consciousness that the sounds are coming and going in is the same space that the darkness is in. Open your eyes. Still hear sounds happening in the silence. In this open space, you see. So I've learned as I grow up, this is Richard's voice and <coughs> your voice. But in the one silence, all voices are mine. Yes? That silence is always there. Very rich, all the sounds, all the colors. From this point of view, from your point of view, all the voices are yours. It's a different way of 
listening and being. So I'm pointing to a sort of non-experience that has tremendous implications. Close your eyes again. Be aware of your body sensations. So, some are strong, some are weak. See? Coming and going. Put aside your memory. I mean, if you were just a baby, you wouldn't know that that was your back or that was your foot. See, go to the sensation you call your left foot. On present evidence, what color is that? Present evidence, not memory. So I can't see a color there. can't experience a color. What shape is it? Not what you think is there. See, how many toes do you have? Hmm. It's a new planet. So be aware of the whole, your whole body, your whole field of sensation. On present evidence, how big is that field of sensation? Well, there isn't a second one to compare it with. So I can't say how big it is. Is it inside anything? Mm -mm. Not in my experience. Just happening in consciousness, in space. Just like the sounds are happening in that same emptiness and the darkness. So we identify with our body sensations. So if, like me perhaps, you can say, I cannot say how big the field of sensation is. I think, I certainly can say, I can't say how big I am. And I am not inside anything. I am free. I am boundless. Ah. Now open your eyes and be aware of your body sensations. I submit it has not changed. From my point of view, I cannot say how big I am. I'm not inside anything. It makes me more, more aware of the sensations, not less, you see. And I understand that for you I'm in a body and these sensations are these hands, all of that. But my own point of view is I'm big. In fact, my sensations seem to blend with the walls. <laughs> this is very good for you, very healthy. There's no sensation here, face to no face, sound to silence, sensation to no sensation. This is this open awareness, this non-judging awareness. This unaffected awareness, this awakeness that is full of everything. You know, it's not only fun to be big in this way. See, it's healthy. Because when we grow up, we become bombarded by what everyone says we are and thinks we are and judges us and we shrink and we imagine these sensations in this little box and then we feel small and tense and stressed. Then when you take a look and you see there's no box here,
Close your eyes one more time. And be aware of your thoughts and feelings. And think of a number. Imagine the name of a city. You think of the face of a friend and your affection. Think of something that's stressing you out and the stress with it. See, all these things are called mental objects. How big is that whole field of mind? So there it is, bubbling away, thoughts coming and going. See, reactions coming and going. Lots of it, very complicated, peering and disappearing without much control, if any. How big is that? Well, I don't find a second one to compare it with. Is it inside anything? Not in my experience. Just coming out the nothing, the no mind, going back into it, without leaving, without marking that no mind. So open your eyes. So I have been told that my thoughts are in this little head over here, separate from all of your thoughts that I can't see somewhere over in those heads. And I've got my thoughts here and you've got yours there. All right, that is a good map for society. But my own private direct experiences is only one field of thinking. And it's somehow out there with you. <laughs> is not here, separate from you. The problem that comes from thinking your mind is a tiny little thing stuffed away in a box here, like bees, a, a million bees in a tiny hive, buzzing away. You can see that's a recipe for stress. But to see that your mind is actually big and it is one with the universe and is out there and you're free of it here. You're observing it. You see, like you're observing the people and the sensations and the thoughts uh, the same. And here you're free of it. Now this has, uh, it, it, it opens up a new way of living. For example, this space doesn't move. So you'll know this experience, I'm sure. We just don't take it seriously. You're driving and you realize the, the, the buildings are going by uh, and you're still, right? You see, it's how it's given, see? Or you're cycling. So from the headless point of view, you see, I'm still and the world flows through me. This is the way it's given. But I'm talked out of it because, uh, you know, you all see me moving and the room is still. I walk onto the stage, you see, and I'm moving. The room doesn't move. And so, you know, a hundred people tell me I'm moving. So there you go. But now I take... I pause, you see. I just say, okay, just let me pause for a moment and pay attention to what it's like to be me 
rather than what others tell me it's like. Because they're not here. And I, I think that we, we sell out on our own experience because we want to belong. I mean, we don't want to buck the, the trend, you know. We, who am I to disagree with a hundred people here? And they won't like me if I do, you know. And, uh, you know, it's going to be much easier if I just go along with what they say I am. And, you know, uh, you know I really, do I really want to buck the system and potentially annoy people by actually looking for myself? <laughs> but I do, you see. I take that risk of not being liked, of not being the same as everyone. I take that risk and I look for myself. You see, I see, I am this, I'm not what I look like. I'm not a thing. I'm this clear land of everlasting clearness. Wow, that is so different from what they're telling me. And this space doesn't move. And so as I test this out and check it out, you see, all the way here from England, People saw me moving and tell me I'm moving. And, but I, every time I look, I haven't gone anywhere. In a way, I'm still at home and Portland has arrived in me. Now, you, I've been exploring living from this from ne for nearly 50 years. And it gets better and better. It gets more and more astonishing. Because I've been so deeply conditioned and told what I am by everyone. I've swallowed it hook, line, and sinker, like we all have, and we'll, like we all have to, you see. So when you awake, when you have the courage and independence to actually stop and look for yourself and just put aside what everyone's telling you 24-7, it's worse than the news. It's unremitting, constant feedback about who you are. You're a thing. Put it in the most basic sense, you're a thing. And you just sort of, it's still going on. You're all telling me I'm a thing, in a way. But you just pause and you look for yourself through this simple exercise that get you to look, you see. I'm just going to pause and look for myself. No, no, you can't do that. No, no. You've got things to do, places to go. You haven't got time to look. Oh, well, just give me a second to see. Oh my, there's nothing here. Nothing here. Point again now, just point, you see. There's nothing there, except space for the whole world. Ah. Now, I invite you not just to pause for a few minutes on Sunday morning at the end, you know, here, but to keep pausing if you like. Because the more you look and rediscover this, the more it grows on you, the more natural. It's natural, it's what you are, it's the other that's learned. But that feeling that I am moving and I'm away from home, you know, it's, so, it's very profound. You know, you're away from home now, unless you live in <laughs> this house. You're, you know, you're not at home. So you're a bit out of your comfort zone, you know, you're out. See, 
But when you discover that you go nowhere, you see, and Portland arrives in you, you're not out of your comfort zone. You're at home. So actually, you are all now guests in my home. Now, you see, it's a funny thing, it sounds funny, it sounds cute, you know, it sounds interesting. But as you go on with it, you, you realize, oh my goodness, it's actually true. It's actually true. Or you are one amongst six, seven, eight billion, Richard. You know, here today, gone tomorrow. Oh. Then I look. See, I am not one amongst eight billion. I am single one. Everyone is in me. That is so different. And this is what the great mystics have been saying. Who you are is more glorious, more outrageous than you could ever dream. Society will come and say, no, that's blasphemy, that's pride. Douglas Harding, who introduced this to me, is dead now. But years ago, I was doing a workshop uh, in a school. And one little boy said, yes, yes, yes. And then he said, and it doesn't make you proud. This isn't pride. This is humility before the fact. This is the way it's given. So I really hope that some of you will do more than just pause and think it's an interesting game. And these experiments make it easy to practice this. So when you notice you've no face, you see for yourself, you notice you've no face, then you see that when you are with others, their face is yours, it's face to no face. So every time you're with someone, you can enjoy having their face instead of yours. <laughs> and they can't stop you. <laughs> now, this is infectious, just as the baby infects you with that pre-verbal openness, you see, and the child infects you with that playfulness and freedom from being in a particular box, and the adult infects you with being in a box. I'm behind the face, you're behind the face. I only have to look at you and you feel looked at, right? I look at you now and you know, don't look at me. You know, why? Because you're looking at me. So you feel looked at. In other words, you feel as though I am giving you your face, right? You're feeling self-conscious. You're behind the face. You're being looked at. So that's the third stage. The fourth stage, that's still going on. You still feel looked at. But that starts to get balanced out by the fact that there's no one here but me. It's like being invisible. And it begins to take away the fear. Now, oh, don't wait, what? You're looking at me, you're judging me. But when there's no one else and just appearances in consciousness, you see, 
Now, don't we all want that in our heart? You know, that freedom and that peace and that ease. And that also, you see, with a child, the one, uh, the, the, the in, part of the infectiousness of stage two of the, uh, of the child is its playfulness. And it just makes, the child makes things up for hours, you see. Now, when you reawaken to your true nature, you realize that from your point of view, you're sort of making it up all the time. It's just coming out of nowhere. Your voice just coming out of nowhere. This scene just magically appearing in the void. You know, it uh, just feels like a few moments ago it was London. <laughs> and now, magically, it's Portland. So how did you do that? I don't know. Now, you begin to realize that you have this fantastic opportunity and resource to live freely while still playing the game, right? See, I, I know I'm in Portland and I'm Richard and you're whoever and you know, and you came from all of that. So you've got that going, but now you come back into the playing the game with this immense resource, which, which opens up creativity and opens up ease and freedom and love and see death, meditation on death, Richard will die, don't know when, but will I? I've been told by everyone here, you're going to die. Have you sorted out your will, Richard? <laughs> But you know, I pause. I have the courage to pause for a moment to look to see if I will die. And I look and there's nothing here that began or will end. Every individual thing comes and goes, but this consciousness is always full of something. Don't get talked out of having a look, you see. And this is so practical. When you're driving, it, 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 you're, you're still and the scenery moves. When you're with people, it's face to no face. When you lie down in bed and can't get to sleep, you be the one consciousness in which the darkness is happening, you see. And then before you know it, the one consciousness is full of mourning. <laughs> Just magic. And we think, oh, I remember what it was like just to make things up, you know. Well, it's what's happening now. And it just takes the courage to pause and look and keep looking. Look for your single eye now, you see. See how it fades out all the way around. Be aware of the sounds coming and going in this silence. Be aware of your body sensations coming and going in this open space. You see, be, hold out your arm and look down your arm at your hand, and you see your arm comes up, it's, on, it's attached to a headless torso, right? It's just, you're looking from nothing down your arm, you see, and, the, and you can feel the sensations. So you're looking down your arm from this boundless open consciousness space, single eye. Now make your hand into a fist so it's tense. Does the space get tense? No. Now relax, you see. You've been told all your life that you, you get tense. Well, my body gets tense, but I don't. 
not because I'm, you know, somehow advanced. It's because I'm seeing where I'm not advanced at all. This is stress-free. This is a fantastic resource. This is uh, having a front row seat, and it's not just, you know, it's sort of all the way around, isn't it? This, the, the show going on, happening in your consciousness now. It's amazing, amazing. No director, <laughs> no crew behind the scenes making sure, it's just incredible. Now this opens us to attention, you see. Because every time you look from the void, it's new. It's always new. I mean, incredible inventiveness. Never boring. You've never watched this one before. <laughs> I wonder if we have any questions. There's a microphone here. Oh, reflections? Yes, Avi. So you were talking about how when you feel people looking at you, you feel yourself seen, this sort of anxiety that comes up about, you know, that you've got to somehow conform to this definition of what, of what this other person is perceiving about you. I wonder how it works the other way. I've been in situations where there are people who clearly have not resonated with me or who have not liked me, who deliberately put on this behavior of not seeing me, who sort of scan past me, who just treat me like I'm not there. Yes. So could you come at it from the other side, oh, talking yes. about how, how this knowledge interacts with that? Yes. Well. They're sort of seeing you as a non-person, and, and one feels ignored and dismissed or disliked. So it's the same thing. You're st they're still making you, you get the feeling they're making you into a thing. So I will tell you uh, just a little story connected with this. That when I was very, very young, I, I was not self-conscious. But an early memory of, of self-consciousness, I'm a twin. And my mother took my brother and myself along to a school to see if we could get into the school. And we, I don't know, at five years old, or, uh, and the teacher turned and said, oh, they're shy. And I went, shy? I don't know, is that good or bad? I, wonder, yeah. I thought I'd done something wrong, I think. And then from then on, I got more and more self-conscious, I would say, like us all. And it's full of stress and worry and, you know, all of that. And as a teenager, I was very self-conscious. And it, it would come in waves, but it would really disturb me sometimes. And I'd be frightened. I mean, fear it would frighten the living daylights out of me just to be with someone. And then you try and hide it, you know, because it's not socially acceptable which makes it worse. <laughs> and you're kind of in this isolated bubble, you think, and it's terrible, and you don't know how to get out of it. You know, and you try this and that, but nothing really worked for me. 
And then I came across headlessness. And Douglas Harding used to, I got to know him very well, and he used to be incredibly self-conscious as a young man. Uh, you know, morbidly so. About his face, interestingly enough. Uh, but by the time I met him, when he was about 60, it had completely gone. I mean, you wouldn't, it had just completely gone. And he used to put it down to headlessness, that you're just seeing, you're not there, you're, there's only one. And when you look at people, you see, you can't actually see their consciousness. They're just colored shapes. And you take that seriously, so you don't feel looked at. And there's nothing to look at here, you see. And you really begin to look at people without fear, you see. Because they're just an object there, like a baby, you see. So when, it, when you're um, with a baby and it's looking at you, you don't, you know, it's not thinking, I wonder what my hair looks like, you know, or my nappy. It's just a, so it's the similar thing. And it's it just incredible freedom comes from just looking without thinking there's two little goblins somewhere in those eyes looking back and judging. There isn't, there's just a face there in my consciousness, you see. And you really look. And it's as if you've never seen people before. I, I'm a counselor and I remember years ago in a clinic telling someone about this and that we, one of the experiments you do is just look at someone and, and you look and is it face to face or face to no face, you see? And, it just, and the woman said, oh, I would never do that. Look at someone. I don't even look at my husband. <laughs> if you don't look at someone, how can you love them? Looking comes before loving. You have to look. Then the love will come or not. So anyway, I looked at Douglas Harding, I thought, well, it's gone for him, great. It'll go for me, you know. Well, it did ameliorate over the years, you know, but it never really went. I thought, well, I know I'm not doing anything wrong. You can't do headlessness wrong. You can't half see the void. You can't see it more clear or less clear. It's timeless. It's not a matter of, you know, how many days or hours in a day. It's just there, you know, so, and yet I had this problem. But it seemed to be manageable, you know, it would come erupt like a cold or something, you know, and then it would go. It's self-consciousness, fear. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? <laughs> or is it just me? <laughs> so, so um, I thought, well, you know, you've just got, uh, the life of who you really are is life of surrender, because the space doesn't choose what, you know, you have no choice here. So it is a, a life of saying yes to what is. And there was this problem, there was a yes, okay. So then about, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, it suddenly erupted. And I was with someone, in fact, I was with a client, and the client wanted to do this ex exercise where we just looked at each other, so he could, he could come, he could face his fears of being judged, you see. And so we agreed for like a five-minute thing. And I thought, great, I'll just be headless, I'll just face to no face with the guy, you know, that'll be fine, you know. About 30 seconds in, I got hit by self-consciousness, and I had a panic attack. I've never had one before. If you've never had a panic attack, you don't know what it is. You think you're going to die. You think your heart feels like you're coming out of his chest and everything. And I was in meltdown. But there I was with this client having agreed to look. <laughs> so I couldn't get out of it. I mean, like, you know, if I'd had my wits about me, I said, I just need to get a drink of water. But you don't have your wits about you when you're in a panic attack. At least I didn't, you know. So it just got, it, it was terrifying. 
And at the end of it, I, I went and got a drink of water and came back. I calmed down a bit. I thought, I was reeling. I thought, where did that come from? And then it happened again. I mean, not quite so dramatically, but uh, it began to be more prevalent in my life. And I thought, I'm going in the wrong direction here. <laughs> and it became so disruptive, I thought, you have to sort this one out. But you can't sort the thing out like that by thinking. It has to be a, a deeper change, I discovered. Now, thinking is part of it, you see. So I did look into, uh, why is this arisen? And I looked at it from the headless point of view, and I, I said to myself, well, if I look back in my own life, there was a time when I was a baby that this was not a problem. All right? You understand? I was just, no, for anyone. So I've always been the void here. So, during growing up, I, as this emptiness, have developed this feeling of being separate. Because this, so this fear was a feeling of being separate. See, I'm here, you're there, and what are you thinking, you see, and uh, all of that. And I thought, since I am the space here, the source of everything, why have I, invented this problem. Do you see what I mean? Because I'm the one, and I come up with everything. So why am I, have I invented this problem? So when I looked into it, I realized that the, 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 uh, the important element of this problem for me was that it was a feeling of separation. I said, so why, as I, why did I, as the one, invent this feeling of separation? So I'm the one, but why that? Ah, it began to make sense. That I am the one, and I am. See, and I've always been, it's timeless. I am. Now when I think about it, when I take ownership for being the one in a way, see, I say, how did I come to be? I don't know, it's a miracle. I don't know how I am, how this is happening, I have no idea, see. But I do know that it's brilliant. To be is wonderful. I say it is. See, just, it's miraculous. I am. It seems that, you know, in my creation story, there was nothing at all. And suddenly, I am. How did I do that? As the one, you see. So my first reaction to this discovery that I am, see, which is now, in a way, is, wow, that's amazing. I, take, I pause for a moment. I say, that's amazing, I am. Then I say, you know, this is so amazing to be. I'd love to share it with someone. But I am alone. I am the one. There's no one to share it with. So I need to create others. I need to create others to share it with. Genuine others. And in my own life and in your life, Inside this one consciousness has arisen this feeling of self and others. And for it to be genuine, you have to forget about who you really are. You can't go on being aware you're the one and really believe in the separation. So when I was an adult, teenager and adult, is in the stage of my life when I completely forgot I was the one and thought I was a separate. So I really believe that and still do 
got in deeply into this feeling. I'm here and you're there. I look at you. You're only a picture in consciousness, but I have a profound sense. I, every fiber of my being is a you're there and I'm here as well, you see. And yet there's only one consciousness. So then when I recognized that, uh, because then when I see who I am and I'm with you now, See, I have a sense that I'm here and you're there, and there are many here, yet there's only one. And so the one now is talking to itself, as if it's talking to another, celebrating itself. See, So, I am the one, and it's brilliant to be the one, isn't it? <laughs> and the one goes back, yeah it is. Or, or even more astonishingly, the, the one says to you, uh, I've no idea what you're talking about. You go, that is amazing that the one doesn't know it's the one. I mean, that is as, almost as amazing as finding out you're the one. I mean, the disguise is so deeply taken on. But then, you see, I recognized that uh, this problem was actually what I really wanted. This feeling of separation was something I wanted, because I wanted others, real others, to talk to. And so when I realized it was what I really wanted, and it and it come out of me as a brilliant device, you see, I began to say yes to it. I began to realize that this feeling of separation wasn't a bad thing. It was a profoundly good thing. It was a blessing, this feeling of the many within the one. So I began as the one without the many, the baby. I then became one of the many and forgot about the one. And now I am aware of both the one and the many. And so there's only one here with many voices. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. And so what seemed to be an awful problem turned out to be a wonderful discovery. Yeah. So that's a long way around. So now you see, as you go on with this, it's a therapy, it's a kind of remedy that you gradually freed from this feeling of being under inspection, yet at the same time you have a profound respect for the one over there appearing as Avi. And this is a very respectful, sensitive appreciation of others. Fantastic thing. Well, I'm running out of time here. Another, yeah, go for it. I think we've got a few. Um, I, I, my aunt, yeah. um, in following you, you've taken me on a big trip. <laughs> um, I do not feel comfortable in the one, I realize that what I that I am hanging onto the rocks out here because if I let go, I'm floating. So uh, that it's that that's what it feels like. And I just was wondering what you if you could talk about that. Yes, that uh, this drama going on within the one is full of dangers <laughs> and difficulties. And once you see you're the one, they don't stop. Like my thing didn't, you know, came out. But I submit that you start to take authorship 
that you recognize that everything that's happening is coming from the one. It's a view. It's the view I take. And so that now, this hanging on, you say, well, what? that's interesting, you see. And uh, it would be, a, when you see who you are, the, you're the one, you see this open space, this single eye, it is wise to recognize that problems continue. It doesn't solve problems, but it's just as it's face to no face, it's problem to no problem. Yeah, well, you, you, you read my book. <laughs> Available on Amazon, conditions apply. Or come on one of our free video chats. We have five or six a week. You'll find, you know, just contact me through the website. But I, I'm just saying that because we have been conditioned our whole lives to hang on to things, it's not going to stop the moment you see who you are, but it's going to cast a new light on it. And one finds, one doesn't make oneself wrong. This, this space allows the conditioning. It's a, you know, it, yeah, it's a very forgiving, kind space. Yeah. All right, I think we've got the man in the wings coming on. Well, thank you. Fresh air. <laughs>